Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to Acts, the ninth chapter. Glory to God. Acts chapter 9. We have the story here of how Saul of Tarsus, verse 1 says he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples disciples of the Lord. We know that he went to Damascus to, uh, to bind and arrest, in other words, men and women, and bring them bound to Jerusalem. But uh, on the way, he was interrupted by the Lord. Amen. He, was, he got arrested instead. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, says in verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said, arise and go into the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, nothing doing, Lord. (laughs) In case you don't know. (laughs) Uh, Lord, I've heard, and I'll just remind you in case you don't know it, uh, about this man, how how much harm he has done to your, your saints in Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now notice verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Think about that statement. What an introduction to the ministry. (laughs) Said I, he's, he's special, I've called him, and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. There is suffering in the Christian walk. Amen. And uh, if you go over to 2 Corinthians and look at the 6th chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about some of these sufferings that uh, came his way. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6, let's look at verse 4. But in all things, now we like to read uh, verse 1 or verse 2 and and 3. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. This is a very, the latter part of this verse is a very often quoted verse. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We, we hear that quoted a lot. It's on people's refrigerators. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, here's not what's on our refrigerated refrigerator. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. Now, it's funny. He, he didn't say as my particular calling, but as ministers, that's plural, He's not just talking about himself, but he's, he's, he is talking about himself, but this applies to anybody in ministry. He says, uh, in much patience, 
in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand, on the left. See, now we like that part. We like the not, we like the purity part. We like the knowledge part. We like the kindness part. We like the Holy Spirit. Ooh, glory. We like the sincere love. We like to confess all the word of truth, the power of God. Ooh, glory. Shake me, Lord. By the armor of righteousness on the right hand, on the left. We like the honor part in the next verse, but what about the dishonor? Huh? We commend ourselves as ministers of God in these things as well, in honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. As deceivers, Paul was called a deceiver. He was, he, people said he was deceiving the people. And he wasn't a deceiver. He said, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Now I heard somebody, I heard somebody recently make a, a, a statement, a ridiculous statement. They said, I don't follow the apostle Paul's doctrine on, on prosperity. He said, I, I follow Jesus's doctrine on prosperity because Jesus never suffered any lack. But Paul admits you know, in, in having nothing, he, he, he talks about in being in need. He said, I don't, Paul, I don't follow Paul's doctrine on prosperity. The, the scripture that immediate came, immediately came to mind was that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete furnished under all good works. Well, I thought to myself, well, that was, a, that was not a good statement to make. I don't care who you are. Amen. It's, all of this is in the Bible. Amen. And uh, no, God doesn't bring the need. He doesn't bring the trouble. He doesn't bring the, the having nothing. But in this world, there will be tests and trials. There will be opposition. You're not gonna just walk in to full prosperity, full health, full blessing, fullness of everything. You're not just going to dance into it without opposition. The enemy's going to try to stop you. And he's going to try to bring all of those things on you. And in those things, he said, I just keep on thinking as sorrowful and always rejoicing as poor, making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing, possessing all things. See, it's, it matters what your attitude is. Now, I would love to be able to stand here before you and tell you that my attitude, my attitude has always been great, but it hasn't always been, but I found that I don't advance until I get my attitude straight. I stay in that problem. As long as my attitude is wrong, I stay in it. God's not, God's not helping the enemy. It's just that if I'm not, if I don't have the right attitude, God's not able to work in me. 
what he wants to do. And if, how many of you know, if he's not working when the enemy is working, <laughs> that's a bad deficit. <laughs> I mean, if the enemy's working against you and God's not working for you, then you're in trouble. But when you get your attitude right in times of test, trials, suffering, difficulty, being spoken against, being called a deceiver and a, and a terrible person and all of those things, and all of us have experienced it. Amen. And these things God allows in our life, he doesn't commission them, but he allows them. He allows them because he knows that we grow strong when we overcome times of testing and trial. When we keep our attitude right and continue to thank God, counting it all joy, he knows that works in us the patience and the, and the strength, the stability that we need. He knows that. That's how it happens. He knows it by, by personal uh, experience. It, it had that effect in his life. So he knows that at, just like he had to endure it, we have to endure it because he wants us to have the same outcome he had. Amen. And so I'll say again, no amount of meditating in the word and confessing the word and believing the word is going to, is going to fully mature you. You're not going to reach, we're not going to reach maturity until we've been tested and tried and overcome. And it's not, and it's not just a, it's not just a beginning process. And then you check that off your list. I said this morning when I worked for, for Western Electric, uh, for those first, uh, Two and a half years, I, you know, everybody, uh, you know, they, at first, you know, people didn't like me because I was a big mouth, but after a while, they just got used to that and realized I was a pretty nice guy and we got along all right. But when I got back in a fellowship with the Lord, all of that changed. And it seems like everybody was just, just pushing me and just, they wanted, they wanted to see me fail, but they really wanted to see me prove that it was true, but they didn't believe it. And so I was, I was harassed and I was uh, 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 criticized and talked about and people did things, you know, despitefully just to, just to make uh, my life miserable. And, and I didn't always get it right. I didn't always respond right. But I, I learned over that pr- three-year period of time where that was going on from 73 to 76, I learned to keep my mouth shut and just let God answer. Sometimes I said some things I shouldn't have said, but, but overall, I was, I was uh, letting God defend me. And, uh, and then I, I passed a time of testing there. And I got transferred to another division that was a whole lot easier, a whole lot more conducive. My, the supervisor that I, I was working under, the direct supervisor I was working under was, was saved. And then when he left, another man came and he was saved. And so we got along great. Now, they weren't spirit-filled believers. They didn't, you know, they didn't agree with this you know, speaking in tongue stuff. But they ignored that. They didn't, they didn't fight me on that. We just had good, a good fellowship as believers. And so for the next three years, from 76 until 79, when I left to, to go to Ramah, I experienced a great deal of, of favor, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and my, my testimony uh, was appreciated, it was received, and, 
And that enabled me to reach some other people in that department that I was working in who weren't saved because I wasn't working under any harassment from, from higher up. They were supporting me. And so, uh, it enabled me, it enabled me to have a greater influence. And so, you know, uh, God was working. So there is a time of proving and a time of promotion, but when you, after you're promoted, you're still going to have, uh, you're still going to have times of, of suffering the same things because the enemy's not just going to say, well, you know, God's got his hand on him, so I'll leave him alone. That's not the way it works. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's look at some scripture. Amen. Let's go to hallelujah. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, (coughs) submit yourself to your elders. Now, that's not talking about ministry elders. That's talking about older people. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in tomorrow. No, in due time. It's not always the best thing for you to be exalted tomorrow. We can't always handle that. We're not ready for that. He said in the, in the proper time, he will exalt you if you'll humble yourself under his mighty hand. Now, sickness and lack is not the mighty hand of God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about humbling yourself and letting God work in these situations by, by allowing yourself to be spoken against and not speaking back. When reviled, Jesus, when reviled, he did not revile back. When he was persecuted, when he was threatened, he, when he, things happened, he didn't threaten back. Amen. That's humbling yourself under the mighty hand. You see, it feels like it's the devil. The devil's harassing you. But if you just understood that when you allow God to work, you're really under his mighty hand. Amen. And his hand is upon you. That's what I mean. That's precisely precisely and, and specifically what I mean about learning the way of the spirit so that we can trace the hand of God in our life in all the circumstances of our life in him. He has his hand on us, but we have to be aware of it and submit to how he wants to work things out. Amen. He said here to submit yourself, humble yourself rather, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the right time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, Walks about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's a toothless lion. Walks about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. That means he doesn't just devour anybody he wants to. He's trying to find an opening. 
seeking whom he may devour. I always say, you may not devour me. (laughs) Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings See, it's, it's whenever the enemy is attacking you, there is suffering involved in that. And, and standing your ground and resisting the devil is part of the sufferings that go with living for God. He said, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, here's what I said. I read all that to get the verse, to verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. That's what I wanted to read. After you have suffered a while. There are certain things in God that are not going to take place until after you have suffered a while. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Try to control yourself. (laughs) Well, you've never preached that before, Pastor. I know, but I'm preaching it now. It's in the Bible. There are some things that are, that there's some graces. Notice what he said. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, there is some grace and some glory that God wants to work in our life, but it, he can't work it in our life until after we've suffered some things. Now, if you're, if you're struggling with what I'm saying, some of you are looking at me like, who are you? <laughs> the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness, not incidentally, and he got attacked by the enemy and, and tempted, but to be tempted of the devil. The Holy Spirit set Jesus up. He led him. Okay, Jesus, this is where you're going. He knew what was waiting. What was waiting on Jesus, the temptation, we'll just try to say this in, in another way so you can see the impact of it. The temptation that God was not in. God wasn't in anything the devil did. But God knows he's, he's been around the devil for a while. He knows what the devil is like. He knows what he does. And knowing in his all-knowing, knowing what Jesus, what the devil was going to tempt him in, knowing that God moved upon Jesus to go into the wilderness to fast for 40 days And afterward, the tempter came. God led him there for that purpose. Do you see that? Is that Bible? Is that the B-I-B-L-E, just the book for me? Is that right? Remember that little song kids used to sing? It's the B-I-B-L-E. Well, we we want to know what it says. After you have suffered a while. Notice it's not necessarily just a moment. After you've suffered for five minutes, it's not what it says. Now, we want, the, we want the wild to be short, but sometimes it's not necessarily short. After you have suffered a while, now notice this, perfect, that's make mature, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 
Christians who are mature and established and are strong and are settled have experienced suffering. They have. And the suffering they've experienced is at least partially responsible for their being matured and and established and and settled and, and strengthened. It is. It is. So uh, when this comes to you, rejoice. Because you know God's working. No, God's not working in the test and the trial and the difficulty. He's not, he's not uh, moving upon people to lie about you. That's not what he's doing. He doesn't do the devil's work. But in the middle of that, God is working. If you look at it right, and if you let God's hand stay upon you, instead of like it said in, in James, uh, where it says... Uh, uh, without wavering, remember that, that definition I read this morning, without backing off, without pulling away. And so often that's what we do when opposition comes. We want to back off. We want to pull away. If we're being persecuted, we want to stop uh, uh, doing whatever it is that's causing the persecution. We want to compromise. He said, don't compromise, but also don't, don't, don't try to, to uh, circumvent. Now, it's easy to do. Remember Paul, he said, because of the abundance of the revelations that were given to me, he said, a a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. Well, the messenger of Satan didn't come from God. It was a messenger of Satan, not a messenger of God. And he was sent to buffet him. And Paul prayed about it three different times and said, Lord, take this away from me. The Lord said, well, instead, my grace is, is made perfect. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Put your trust in me and let me carry you through. Now it's, it's erroneous. People have said that God didn't answer his prayer and that God just let him stay in that and never delivered. He doesn't say that. God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And he said, that's why I will rather rejoice And my weaknesses, because I know that's when the hand of God's on me. Well, there's not a whole lot of that going on in the church. (laughs) I don't know of anybody preaching that, but it's true. Paul said, I will rejoice in my weaknesses. I will, I will, uh, uh, be, be happy and, and what's the language there? Uh, I will rejoice in my weaknesses because I know that when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. That's when the hand of God's on me. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, persecution, spiritual maturity cannot be achieved without suffering in various ways. And, uh, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, when I was working at Western Electric, and the opposition that I had. But then the Lord called me to leave the phone company. Now, my wife and I, I wasn't making like a lot of money. But we had moved from, in nine years, I had moved up in the company enough that I was making a fairly good salary. Uh, enough that my wife didn't have to work. Now, we could have lived a lot better had she worked. But we had two small children at home, and we felt that it was better for her to stay home with the kids. And, and though she was trained in, in uh, x-ray technology, she could have done that, and it could have brought some, some good income to our home. 
But we felt that with the children, it would just be better for her to stay home. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of extra money. But we did take a vacation or two during those, those, uh, those last few years before we went to Ramah. Took a vacation or two. Uh, we had enough money to every now and then on a special occasion, my wife and I could actually go to a nice restaurant, a nice steakhouse on our anniversary. And, and, and years before that, you know, it was just McDonald's and Taco Bell. That was it. That's about all we could afford. And, uh, and, and, but we had, we had a little bit of relaxing financially. Not, we weren't, we weren't, you know, like super prosperous, but we weren't under the gun every month either. Had two cars instead of just one, you know, and neither one of them were in great shape, but they were two cars they were running. And, uh, but then the Lord led me to leave all of that, you know, and, and I had nine years with the, with the, uh, with Western Electric. One more year I'd have been invested, I would have been invested in the, in the, uh, a retirement plan and would have had income after it wouldn't have been as much as you know you know working there 40 years but it would have been something and so when I when I told my supervisors that I was leaving now here's what had happened over over that time if I had told them I was leaving in 72 they'd have said there's the door son nice knowing you but they tried to talk me out of leaving because I was I had become a valuable employee and, uh, and I remember this one supervisor, he took me aside. He said, he said, he said, why don't you wait just one more year? You can go to Bible school, you know, next year instead of this fall and you'll be, you'll have your pension, uh, uh, established. And, and, and I said, but you don't understand. I have to go because God said, go now. I didn't know what the urgency of it was, but I found out that after just going one year to Bible school, it was the next year that I've met the people that, that in this area and then church was uh, birthed out of that. If I had not gone when I did, I wouldn't have been in that position and none of this likely would have happened or it could, certainly couldn't, maybe not have happened at all. I don't know how God could have worked it out, but that's the way he worked it out and it was in his plan. And so I knew this, I had a, I had a, a strong leading, I have to go. And so I knew I was walking away from, from a decent income and, and uh, a decent future. I could have stayed on with the, with the company and retired after 30, 40 years, and, and which would have been, you know, uh, uh, 20 years ago or 10 years ago at least. And, and, uh, but, you know, I didn't really struggle with leaving. I really didn't. Now, my, I, I don't know if my wife did or not. But if she did, she didn't say a whole lot to me about it. Uh, people that knew me, relatives and others, even in church, thought I was really making a big mistake. Her dad, uh, when we got married, even though I needed a lot of advice, he told me I was 17 years old when I married his daughter. And he, and he said, now Edwin, he said, I've never allowed anybody to run my life. And I'm not going to run yours in Angeles. He said, I'm not going to interfere. He said, now, if I see you doing, about to do something that's really catastrophic, he said, I might say something. He said, otherwise, I'm keeping my nose out of your business. And I really appreciated that. I really could have used his nose in my business. But uh, the frame of mind that I was in, I wouldn't have received it. It just caused problems because I was so rebellious and hard-headed and I thought I knew everything. Uh, but when we decided to go to, to Ramah, he, did he tell you, he said, I think this is the dumbest thing you and your husband have ever done. 
But he, I found out, he didn't just tell her, I just found out just a few weeks ago at a, at a funeral we went to, uh, one of our uh, friends that was in the church at that time, a little older than us, she, was, she, she and another woman were the youth leaders in the church. And Angela's dad went to, to her and said, Edwin and Angela are making the dumbest, biggest mistake. This is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Leaving, so he had struggled financially for a long, long time. And I had a good job and a good a career ahead of me. And he just thought, man, you're just throwing that all away. And so he, he, he was against it. Other people just wondered, well, you know, why is Edwin going into the ministry? He can't even give a testimony. I mean, when the ushers would come forward to pray, you know, like we do, we'd have the ushers march forward. Uh, the pastor had this uh, uh, habit. He would, there'd be like four ushers, and he would, he would call on one of them to lead the prayer over the offering. And, and my palms would start sweating, my throat would go dry, and just walking down the aisle with the bucket, you know. And I'd get down to the front, and I'd try to look off. I'd act like, you know, my shoe was untied. or Like, certainly he's not going to call on me because I'm distracted, you know. And, uh, and when he did, I would just muddle through some, you know, silly uh, sounding prayer. I mean, I was sincere, but I just, I, I was, I didn't do good. And so people wonder, well, why in the world is he going to Bible school? Well, I don't, I don't think that's, that's a very good move. And then they knew my wife. And one of my friends, I, I talked to Doc Horton one time. Uh, he was visiting, he administered in, in the church that that we were in where the revival was in, that I was in there before I went to Ramah. And then he also uh, ministered uh, in another church in town. And so uh, he was at our church one time just before we went to Ramah. And I said, Doc, can I talk to you? He was after church and some of us young men, we would just follow him around because he, you know, he was a man of faith. And I said, uh, I feel like I'm called into the ministry. I said, but I've got a problem. My wife won't hardly come to church, let alone go into the ministry. He said, ah, that old rough, you remember Doc, you know, the old gravelly voice said, ah, don't worry about it, brother. You just obey God, she'll follow you. And I remember Ralph Gardner, my friend, he was standing there. He didn't tell me at the time, but he told me later, he thought, he doesn't know his wife. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know Angela. <laughs> but, you know, I had direction and it wasn't a struggle for me to leave. It really wasn't. And so we went out to Ramah and it was difficult. There was, you know, I, I, Angela started working there and I, you know, uh, went to school and I took care of the, of the boys during the daytime and she worked and she was earning exactly half what we had been, what I had been making before. But you know, God took care of us during that time. I know she struggled some with this, but to me, it was just, it was just wonderful. I was at Rama. I was hearing Brother Hagen, you know, three or four times a week and, and having services and, and going to local church. It was just wonderful. I was just so glad to be there. I, I just didn't sweat it. So I can't really tell you that I suffered going to Rama because I just didn't. I didn't, it just didn't strike me that way. Looking back, I thought, I, have every, I had every reason to really be concerned. And so I don't know if special faith was working in me or what was going on, but it was just, I was just not affected by it. And the same thing when we started our church. Now, we had moved back to Jacksonville for three months, two months, moved back at the, uh, when we graduated in May, we immediately came back to Jacksonville and we had rented our home out to somebody and so they had left and we moved back into the home we had bought. 
And uh, we stayed there from, from June, July, and August. And moved in, in August, and moved over here. And during that time, I was meeting with the people in Fort White, you know, holding two services a week, going back and forth, you know, from Jacksonville twice a week. And uh, when it came time to start the church, you know, it wasn't a big test to me. But there was some uncertainty because I, I was going to come over here with no financial backing whatsoever. Except the 10 adults and 13 kids, that was counting Angela and me. So there were eight other adults and then uh, 10 other kids in this group. And they had pledged to take care of us. Well, that's not a real solid foundation. Matter of fact, I moved, I moved from Jacksonville to Fort or out to uh, uh, Gilcrest out there, 138. And they moved my furniture in a stock trailer, a livestock trailer. So if that would have been an indication that maybe this wasn't going to be a, a real plush uh, assignment, you know. But, but we, we were happy to do that because we were obeying God. And so there was some, there was some a little bit of, of, uh, of uh, doubts, you know, that we had to, we had to cast aside. But, but not anything real bad, honestly. Like I said, I can't speak for my wife, but at least for me. But, you know, we hadn't been ministering very long until, boy, you talk about the devil working. The devil got in there and stirred up that original group and they wanted to run me off. And I got I, one, it was one couple, one husband and wife who were prim- primarily responsible for it. And so they started seeding these, uh, this con- uh, discontentment um, among the other church and they would have people over to their house to eat. This, and somebody told me about it because... Uh, it, not, it didn't just happen to one person or two person. It happened to three or, or four people. And, and they all came to me individually and confessed because they felt bad about it. But uh, I think three of them. But this one couple would invite people over and the conversation would go like this. They'd have dinner, you know, with them and this other couple. And they'd say, oh, our pastor is so wonderful. We have a great church and a great pastor. Yes, we do. Well, there's just this one thing. And then they would start criticizing me. And what it was, that, that couple wanted to be in the ministry. And I think secretly they wanted to be the pastor. But they, they weren't qualified. And so they started criticizing, well, I think pastor, I think God's through with, with, with they didn't even call me pastor back then. They didn't refer to me. They, I think God's through with Edwin and Angela. And uh, it's time for them to move on. And, and so this first couple or woman came to me and she said, Pastor, I, she said, I'm, so, I'm so ashamed. I went to this. I didn't intend to get into this. And the next thing I knew, I was in the middle of this discussion. She said, when I left, I just felt dirty. Well, I, you know, filed that away. And then somebody else had the same experience than another person. So I just went and visited that couple. And I said, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, uh, you're trying to destroy the church. Now, if I had let that happen... If I had just said, well, if these people don't want, don't want me, you know, we'll just, I'll just leave. I knew God was on, God's hand was upon us. We wouldn't be here tonight if I'd have let that happen. So I've just visited that pastor, I mean, that, that man and his wife, and he, they were wanting to go to Ramah. They were asking me for uh, a, a, a recommendation, you know, to sign their application, recommend them to go to Ramah when all this happened. And I said, let me tell you something. Here's what's going to happen. I said, you're either going to repent or you're not coming back to church. 
I know that, you know, you, you sometimes when you're a little older, a little more mature, you might handle it slightly different. But God, God instructs you uh, on the level at which you can operate at the time. I wasn't nearly as secure then as I am now. So I don't know that I would have handled it exactly the same, but I handled it the best I could at that time. And I said, here's the thing. I said, uh, uh, you're going to repent or you're not coming back. And I said, here's what will happen. I said, the very first time you come through the doors of the church, we were at the, at the uh, old Baptist church at the time. This was in 1983. So we'd been together three years. I said, here's what's going to happen. When you walk through the doors of the church, I said, because I sat on the platform back then. I said, I said, I will know by the Holy Spirit whether you've repented or not and whether your heart's right or not. I will know. Well, I said that completely by faith. And uh, I said, I will know. And if, and if your heart's not right, I said, we will stop what we're doing. Just stop it right then. I said, if we're in the middle of the song service, I'll just stop it. If we're taking up the offering, hold on, ushers. I said, if I'm preaching, I'll stop. I said, if I'm in the middle of prophesying, I will stop. That's what I said. And I said, if your heart's not right, I will call you down front and I will, I will air your dirty laundry in front of the whole church. He said, yeah, I believe you'd do it too. I said, yeah, I will do it. And uh, they didn't repent and they didn't show up again. But it saved the church. Because, an, uh, uh, but, but out of that, as, as a result of the seed of that discontentment, a few months later, trouble started uh, brewing in the church. And those families that came to me with this suddenly didn't like the fact that I was becoming a pastor. Because as long as I was just a good old boy, uh, they were happy with that. But when I started exercising, exercising some pastoral authority like I did in that situation, they didn't like it. So eventually they, they, uh, they led uh, uh, basically a coup and, and uh, wanted me to leave. Well, I knew God had called me and I, I'd started the church. I was the one that organized it and put it together. They didn't put it together. They were there, but I'm the one that organized it. And so I just, I just wouldn't budge. And uh, so we had, we had a big meeting one Sunday. We had a vote. And so I let everybody vote. And the vote was, uh, uh, we're going to go with pastor and, and the way God has ordained church government, that the pastor is the pastor of the church, or else we're going to go the way uh, you want to go, like, and, and, and have a committee to run everything. And uh, we're just going to vote. And so the vote came because all of the newer people, including the, the uh, McKinsey's there, they had come, they weren't part of that original group, they had come later. Well, all the people that came later were mostly the product of my ministry and others, you know, that had invited them. In other words, under my stewardship, they, they voted to, to stay with the word and to have scriptural church government. And the others, the others were now in a in minority. And so uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't carry the vote. And so they walked out that day and we had a big division in the church. Another, you know, third of the church left. Maybe half the church, I don't remember. But leading up to that, there was all of this politicking going on. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. I would come into church and the atmosphere would be charged 
with strife and accusations and talking. And I would walk in, you remember the old basement at the old church? And I would go down those stairs and go in the basement and there'd be people there talking. When I'd walk up, they, they'd turn away, you know, all embarrassed looking. And they were talking, talking about me. And the Lord would not let me answer. The Lord said, do not answer for yourself. Do not, do not take your defense. Do not just preach the word and let me work this out. And you know, that's hard. People of this original group, they were suggesting that I could be stealing money from the church. And, and, and the accusation was, well, the pastor, if he runs everything, he could just take all the money and just go out and buy a brand new car. I had a 74 Volvo that was leaking transmission so bad, I drove it to Tulsa one time and I, led, I left a red streak on the highway all the way to Tulsa and all the way back. Did I not carry, <clears throat> did I not carry two cases of trans... I carried a, an entire case <clears throat> of how many bottles? 12 bottles of, of transmission fluid. And I used up going out there and had to get another case to come home for, for, for homecoming, I think, in 82. I still had that old car, and one of the people that was griping against me, her name was was on the was on the account, because I never I never handled the money myself. They did, but they just didn't want me having any access. And I thought, hmm, they just got a new car. Why am I under suspicion <laughs> for using the money to buy a car? And I'm driving this old heap, and they have access to the bank account, and they have a new car. Why, what's up with that? I wanted to say that, but I couldn't. And so, you know, you talk about suffering. I mean, to be lied about, to be to have people say you're a thief. I never touched a dime. And to this day, I've never touched a dime except what's been authorized for me by the, by the advisory board. I, I, I could never believe or understand why somebody would go to a church where they think the pastor might be pilfering the offering basket. Why, why would you even attend there? So, you know, when you're lied about, when you're misrepresented, people are talking about you behind your back, and they were. I mean, like I said, I'd walk into the, to the church and go downstairs, and they'd be in little groups, and they're over there. Pastor would walk up. The Lord wouldn't let me answer. Now, I would like to say that when I was alone, I was just full of rejoicing. But I wasn't. I, I remember Angela and I, we would, we would, we would, uh, after the thing was all over and those people left, they went around town then spreading rumors. I would go into, I would go into a local business and, and all these people lived around here. They were all longtime residents of the area. They lived out in Fort White, but they shopped in High Springs. And uh, so they knew all the proprietors of all the, you know, the hardware store and the, this store and that store. And I would walk in the hardware store and, and uh, the person there, I'd walk in, they'd look. Oh yeah, there's that preacher. And I knew I'd been talked about. Now, you could see it. It was obvious. This, this, one, this one fellow that, that was running the hardware store at the time, he asked me about one of these men. He asked me what I thought about him. He was a friend of that man. I knew he was setting me up. 
he was, he was so wanting me to, to start trashing that man that used to be in the church that was involved in this. And I, so I, was, I leaned over the counter. I said, let me tell you something about, and I called that man's name. Let me tell you something about him. And oh, his eyes started bouncing all over his head, you know, and he was just so excited. You know, he's, he had these goofy eyes that kind of jumped around, you know, and his eyes are bouncing all around and, and he leaned in. Oh, you could see it. He was so excited. He was so excited. I was giving, going to give him something juicy that he could go back and talk about. I said, let me tell you something about so-and-so. I said, that's one of the finest, most upright men I've ever met. He's a model. The, the look, he was, just so, he was just so disappointed. His face fell. He said, oh yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> but you, you go, you, you experience that and God won't let you answer. What does it do? It strengthens you. Now, now we griped and complained between ourselves. And, and we would finally, Angela and I would, would say, okay, that's it. We're not talking about this anymore. We have forgiven them. It's over. We've, we, God, you just put your, and I did pray for them. I've, I read in Matthew where Jesus, how Jesus taught about to pray for your enemies, love them, do good to them, uh, you know, pray for them, love them, do good for them, whatever it was, you know, huh? bless them. And I would pray for them and their families. I mean, diligently, and I meant it. Because uh, that's the only way I keep my heart right. And so we would resolve, Angel and I would resolve, that's it. We are not talking about it. It just upsets us. There's just no reason to talk about it. And, you know, we would, we would just be doing something and all of a sudden it would just come up and I'd say, you know the thing that really gets me? <laughs> and we would start it all over and say, no, no, we can't do this anymore. I don't know how many times we did that. Several times. And she would do the same thing. It's all quiet. We're at peace. And you know, I was just thinking, yeah, no, no, they said this, and how could they say that? But we eventually just had to shut it off and leave it in God's hands. And you know, once we finally did that and nailed the lid on that, we said, that's it. We're never talking about this again. We have forgiven them. We're going on. You know, it wasn't long after that. I don't remember how long. But a period of time went over, went along. And you know, we didn't feel any of that anymore. We could think about them. And then we could bring up something and we could talk about there was no pain. There was no angst. There was no aggravation. There was no sense of being done wrong. All of that had vanished because God had transformed us. But it came as a result of finally, first of all, not answering them and then not answering one another. Just stop it. You know, that'll make you or break you. And you, can, you aren't kidding. During that time, did we want to leave? Yes. And in the middle of the night, I told Angela, we we're laying in bed one night. I said, here's what we'll do. We'll, go, we'll just leave here and we'll go back to Ramah. And I'll go, you know, second year and finish, you know, and you can go the first year. And She said, dear Lord. She said, it was hard enough to be out there in the will of God. We're not going, we're not going out there out of the will of God. Are you kidding me? I said... Oh, yeah, there is that. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we wanted to leave. We wanted to quit. Sometimes it's the easiest thing to pull back. That would be wavering. The easiest thing in the world to pull back and just say, you know, it's not worth it. It didn't feel like it was worth it. We couldn't see that it was worth it because we didn't know the outcome. But first of all, we couldn't answer them. And then we finally had to resolve that within ourselves. We're just not dealing with this any longer like this.
And, you know, things like that happen. I, uh, I know when Pastor Greg and Amy, you know, when they left Rhema, they didn't, they had it in their heart to come here and they turned down that job. But before they came here, they went to help somebody else. They went to help another pastor who was starting a church in another city. And uh, they had met, you know, them at Rhema and been with them and helping them was a traveling minister. And this traveling minister decided they were going to go to another city in, Jack- in, in the city of Jacksonville and start a church. And uh, Greg and Amy felt led to go help them. Now, remember, after they turned down the job, I told you how many of you were in here this morning. After they turned down the job at this mega church, they didn't know what the church was. They didn't know how big a church. They just knew it was a big church. They, it was after they turned it down that, that Dean uh, of, of the, of the uh, youth ministry uh, at the school at Rama told Greg which church it was. And it was like, are you kidding me? They didn't even tell me that until this past week. I was like, when he told me who it was, I went, to what? Well, they had turned that down, and so they go to Jacksonville, and, and they weren't treated very good there. The truth is, they weren't. They weren't respected, and they weren't treated very good, not only by uh, those pastors, but by others, traveling ministers that, that came and visited, they, they, just, they were just treated like they were nobody. Like they, they, when, when, a, when a guest minister would come in to minister at that church and they would have them to eat, they would seat, they would seat Greg and Amy with the children. I'm talking about at a little table, at a children's table. Their knees were up like this. They would sit with, is that right? They would sit with the children and couldn't even sit with the adults. That's how they were treated. Now, you think they didn't, they didn't suffer <laughs> with that and want to quit, but they had made a commitment, and they stayed with their commitment. It's because of that that they're strong, because they went through that, and they, and, you know, they would come over here in the first year or so before that church actually got started. They would drive from Jacksonville over here just because they didn't want to influence anybody. If they had started going to another church in town waiting on that pastor to come start the church, then they would have developed friendships because Greg and Amy are very social. They would have developed relationships. And Angela and I were from Jacksonville, so we knew the whole charismatic, cruisomatic community, you know, that went between churches and stuff. And so they would have developed relationships, and then a year later, this, oh, we're leaving to start a church. Well, that could have been a draw on people. So ethically, they said, we're not, gonna, we're not going to attend church over there. They got jobs, living, got an apartment, a house, living in Jacksonville, but traveling every Sunday over here to come to church so that they wouldn't be involved in a church there and then eventually draw people out of those churches when their pastor came to start a church. Well, that's ethics. It's not easy. And how were they rewarded? Not very good. But those kinds of things make you strong. It creates uh, the stability that it just doesn't come any other way. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. And then they came over here because when Cindy and Ike, when Ike and Cindy told me that they were leaving to go to Canada, the Lord had already told me, had already let me know that it was going to happen, but they didn't, had, hadn't said a thing to me. And the Lord so, told me, said, they're going to be leaving soon. And I, I remember I told Angela, and she said, don't tell me that. That can't be true. I said, well, I'm just telling you, that's what the Lord said. So it wasn't long after that, they, Ike came in, brother, Pastor Ike, and then now he's Pastor Ike. He was worship leader then. 
And he came in and said, you know, they were going to be leaving. Well, I knew we were going to be losing our youth minister. So I called that pastor on the phone and I said, hey, I need my son. If I didn't, I didn't call Greg. I didn't call them, didn't talk to them about it at all. I called their pastor. And I said, if you will release him, I'd like to have him back. If you won't, then I'll just leave it like it is. I'll find somebody else. But if you'll release him, I'd like to have my son back. He said, that, he said I completely understand. He needs to work with you. That'll be fine. So they released him, let him come. But you know, whenever you're, when, you're the, <clears throat> when you're the head pastor, uh, you have to be the bad guy sometimes. How many of you... I don't not ask you to raise your hand because everybody would raise your hand. The question was, don't raise your hand. But the question is, how many of you love your parents? Every hand goes up. But I could also ask you this. How many of you growing up didn't like your parents sometimes? <laughs> is, there, is there anybody that wouldn't raise their hand? At one point or another, multiple times more likely, along your childhood and teenage years, particularly in your teenage years, you know everything. How many of you wanted to jump ship then? Oh, yeah. Mom and dad, they're complete idiots. They're being so hard on me. They're just, it's unreasonable what they're wanting me to do. It's not fair. The same thing happens pastoring. And when that happens, people criticize and people say things. And, uh, you know, I remember laughing that, that brother, brother Ike, he's now a pastor, Ike and Cindy, pastor. You have been pastoring for how many years? Almost 20 years? Uh, something like that. Close to it anyway. Uh, and have a great work, tremendous work in Canada. But when they were here on staff, uh, brother Ike was the nice guy. Because he's on staff, but he could be the nice guy. He was everybody's friend. And, you know, when I had something that I needed to uh, uh, say to the departments, I didn't just go to them. I would say, because he was associate pastor too. I said, Ike, you need to have this meeting. You need to tell them this. Well, you know, this is human nature. Well, you know, he would soft pedal it and make it as nice as he could. You know, that's not the way I told you to do, deal with that. But, you know, Brother Ike was just everybody's friend. And everybody loved Pastor Ike. And it was easy for the affection to go there and leave the heavy lifting with me. Let me, let me give you a hint, department directors. When in, I so appreciate Zach over there, his head usher. When, when I give an instruction to Zach about the way I want things, Zach doesn't go to the ushers and say, well, the pastor wants to do it this way. I, what, what is that doing? That's saying, I'm one of you guys, I relate to y'all, and I know this isn't right, but pastor wants it done this. That's not what he does. He says, this is the policy of the church. This is what need, he takes ownership of it. He doesn't throw me under the bus. Department directors, there's a lesson in that. Amen. Everybody wants to be everybody's buddy. But when you're everybody's buddy, somebody gets thrown under the bus. And guess who it is? Well, you know, those things happen. It's part of driving the bus. The people that drive the bus like to get thrown under the bus. Somebody said, you know, pastoring is like driving a bus. 
Some people get on, some people get off, some people get off. You just keep driving the bus. Just keep driving the bus. Well, it's not always fun. I remember in the early years when, how long have I been up here? 30 minutes? About 20 minutes? You're embarrassed to say. Nobody wants to say. I remember people would take their aggravation out with me, against me. They'd take it out on my wife. Every now and then I'd leave town to go to a meeting somewhere. And while I was gone, it's like all hell would break out loose in the church. People would start, you know, attacking my wife and, and she would be of this controversy. She did this, she did that. I knew what they were doing. They were taking out their frustration with me because they knew I wouldn't put up with that. And they'd take it out on my wife. Is that fun? No, it makes you want to hit somebody. They do the same thing with Pastor Greg, Miss Amy. Take their frustration out with me. Listen, let's all grow up. But I said all that to say there is suffering involved in anything you do for God. If you're going to serve God and live right, people are going to criticize you. People are going to take what you say out of context. They're going to misrepresent your motives. They're going to say you did this for the wrong reason. All of those things, you just have to put up with it. Because that's what, the reason we have stability today in ministry is because we've suffered some things. And at the time, I I didn't like it. But I can look back now and I say, thank God for all the tough times. Thank God for all the difficult places we've been in. Because it made us strong. It, it created stability. The reason we're settled in ministry is because we suffered. And if you want to be settled in life, if you want to be settled as a Christian, if you want to be that, that, that uh, uh, example of maturity and steadfastness that people look at, then take the suffering and thank God for it. React the right way. You might not always... Want to react the right way, but you can get yourself straightened out and just say, you know what? I'm not going to fight for myself. I'm going to let God fight for me. You know, love doesn't insist on its own rights or its own ways. What the Amplified Translation says, love does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking. God has a way. That's what I mean by learn the way of the Spirit so that you can see and trace God's hand working in everything that comes along. No, God's not in it, but he's working through it if you'll let him, and he'll strengthen you, and you'll go to maturity. Amen. Well, let's stand up. Praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.